Happy Birthday America. It is July 7th, or it will be July 7th when I post this, and the United States of America has just celebrated Independence Day. Woohoo! In Living Brightly, the L in Brightly stands for Liberty. So let's talk about Liberty. Welcome. This is the Living Brightly podcast with Elaine Cross. Today we're going to focus on liberty and we are going to look at what that means as an individual, what that means as a country, and what that means really to the world. How God designed it this way. Most people don't think of it that way, but it's how it is. And that's what we talk about, the political social impact of the Christian worldview. Thanks for joining me. Let's get to it. If you look up liberty in the dictionary, and I just pulled it up on dictionary.com, of course, it's going to give you several definitions. And the first definition is freedom from arbitrary or despotic government control. Hmm. Sounds like exactly what the founders of the United States of America were looking for. They were under the control of the King of England, who had sent not only his troops, but he sent them to control and to tax the people. And the people had very little say in how and what they could do. The second definition is freedom from external or foreign rule. Independence. July 4th, 1776, the states gathered together and made a declaration for independence. Well, what would become 13 states? 13 colonies, which are represented on our flag of the red and white stripes. There are 13 stripes, and those represent the 13 colonies that came together and declared their independence, their freedom from England on July 4th. The third definition, freedom from control, interference, obligation, restriction, hampering, conditions, power or right of doing, thinking, speaking, etc., according to choice. Freedom of choice, freedom to think and speak and act in a manner that is self-controlled, self-driven. And yes, we live in a society, we live with a bunch of other people, so there has to be some constraints on, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, but you can say and you can think and you can feel however you are. You just can't say whatever you want to say in whatever place you want to say it. Make sense? Yeah. That's become a very interesting discussion. We'll get there. Number four, freedom from captivity, confinement, or physical restraint. Now, when the founders were writing the Declaration of Independence, one of the problems that they had was because the king had sent over British troops, he told the British troops that they could just kick people out of their homes. So that's what they did. Often they would allow the people to stay there as their live-in servants and cook food for them and provide for them and basically stay out of their way while they controlled both the people in the house and the people in the surrounding area. Freedom from that is an important thing. Number five, permission granted to a sailor, especially in the Navy, to go ashore. Shore leave. Liberty. You can have liberty. You can go ashore. The freedom to move about, to go outside the watchful eye of your keeper, if you will. (laughs) 
Number six, freedom or right to frequent or use a place. And this one has a sentence. The visitors were given the liberty of the city. So you have the liberty to walk freely, to use public spaces. We talked a couple episodes ago about a group called Constitution Camp that was exercising their right to freely use public space by celebrating what they had done to teach children in the area about the Constitution, only that liberty got squelched by the city of Boston, who said, you can't fly that flag. And the Supreme Court came back and said, oh, yes, they can. It is public space, and they have the liberty to do that. Seven, unwanted or impertinent freedom in action or speech or a form or instance of it, to take liberties. Sometimes we think of taking liberties as your ability to just walk away. (laughs) You have the freedom to say things that might offend people, okay? And yes, that goes back to freedom of speech, but when you're dealing with definitions, things overlap all the time. You have a freedom to dress the way you want to dress and to act the way you want to act. As long as you're not disrupting everyone else in the area, go for it. Liberty. We have been raised in a culture of liberty, and it can be very difficult for people to understand what it would be like to not have liberty. And what by people, I mean Americans. Citizens of the United States are raised in such a culture of liberty, such a culture of freedom, that for many, they don't necessarily recognize the signs of someone trying to impede those liberties and to remove your freedoms. And on the other side, it is also used as a means to control. In 1865, we had the Civil War, and the Civil War was brutal for our country. And of course, we lost the most soldiers in that war because it was Americans fighting Americans, and they were fighting over the freedom of the slaves. Now, I mentioned once before about the fact that the founders of the Constitution wanted, there were several who wanted to put verbiage in there that slaves were not just chattel, they were human beings. You've heard the line, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, instead of pursuit of happiness, they wanted it to be property. But they were afraid if they used the word property, that those who were slave owners would say, those are my property and you can't take my property away. So they didn't want to codify the possession of another person in the form of slavery. And it took almost 100 years for the war to be fought to actually free the slaves in the South. And the big debate came out because of the Western territories. The United States had purchased huge, huge swaths of land in the West. And some of those lands, they wanted to put slaves. And some of the people were like, no, you cannot expand slavery beyond the states that you have. You have the whole southern band of the United States. Slavery's got to stay there. It cannot expand into the new Louisiana Territory. But of course, there were businessmen and people who knew that they wanted to make money and the easiest way to make money is with cheap labor. Can't get much cheaper. You pay the, for them to have food. You kind of keep them healthy. And beyond that, you do whatever. And it's a cruel system. And it's a system that's not unique to the United States. It's not even unique to that time frame. 
we have always had slaves. And in fact, right now, there are millions of people enslaved as I speak across the world. And some are enslaved based on their religious belief. There are groups that have enslaved competing religions like Christians or... But when you think about being possessed and wholly contained and controlled by another person, it is so anti-human. It is so anti-God. God is so passionate about liberty that he put the choice in the Garden of Eden. So you can eat the the knowledge of good and evil. I'm telling you, don't eat that tree because in that moment that you eat it, you will die. Or you can eat of the tree of life. And once Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God barred their access to the tree of life because he didn't want us stuck in this state of separation from him. This this might sound a little weird, but... (laughs) This is how I've kind of come to understand what happened in the Garden of Eden. Before they had sinned, God walked with them, God talked with them, and they took care of the garden. They had already been charged with pushing back against the chaos and bringing order to the land so that both the people and the animals and the garden itself could flourish. So there's this very special spiritual relationship between the stewardship of men, meaning humans, and the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and maintaining that balance so that all can prosper and be blessed. So the animals need our care and tending as well as the land. And we have learned so much, even just the last 50 years, about what happens when that is not done well. And they allowed the wolves, the gray wolves in Western United States to almost become extinct. They caught a small pack of wolves and kind of sequestered them to help them build up their numbers. And there were a couple different packs in a couple different places so they could swap out the males so that there wasn't a whole lot of inbreeding and those sorts of things. And their numbers grew and then they reintroduced them to the wild. And what they noticed was the impact that the lack of the wolves had on the whole environment in the West. There were plants and trees that were growing uncontrollably. It was, it was turning to chaos. There were whole animal groups and plant groups that were suffering because that ecosystem was out of balance without the wolf. And when they reintroduced the wolf because the wolves were predators, they, in their own way, in their own gifting, also pushed back against the chaos by controlling some of the other animal groups, animal groups that didn't eat meat, animal groups that ate grass. And as a result, some of the prairies came back because the grass eaters were in certain places and were also their numbers were also controlled a little and it's just a beautiful, there are several movies and documentaries about the impact of the gray wolf in Western United States. And that's the beauty of this interrelationship that we have as God's caretakers of this earth. So before the sin, this was the role of Adam and Eve. 
And after the sin, after they, after Adam basically lied to Eve and told her she couldn't even touch the apple. So then, of course, Eve touches the apple and she's like, oh, this isn't bad. Look, it looks good. It's tasty. And then she eats it. (laughs) There's a lot to the story, but it started with Adam. And I think in a way, Adam wanted to know what would happen without actually doing it himself. So he didn't really stop her after she touched it. And he didn't stop her before she took a bite. He waited and watched as she took a bite. And then she offered it to him and he's like, oh, look, she survived. I guess I could do it too. (laughs) Yeah, well, it didn't work out good for them. And it changed everything. But it also opened up this whole idea of liberty and choice. God desperately wants a relationship with you. God desperately wants a relationship with me. But he wants that relationship to flow out of freedom, to flow out of liberty. And therefore, God allows people to completely reject him, to completely walk away from anything that they've been taught if they were raised in church, or to ignore his Holy Spirit's call on their life to to come to him and to get to know him. And they can put up barriers and they can say no and they can walk away. It doesn't mean he doesn't continue to pursue them. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't still want a relationship with them. But he's not going to force them. He's not going to force you. He's not going to force me. He's not going to force anyone into a relationship with him. When we look at interpersonal relationships, you have a freedom in who your friends are. You have a freedom in who you hang out with. You have a freedom to decide who you're going to marry. But that's not the case everywhere. There are still many countries and many places where marriages are arranged by the parents and the bride and groom don't even hardly know each other necessarily. And I can't say whether that's right or wrong. I'm sure some of those turn out very great and some turn out horrible. So I I don't know that the odds are better one way or the other. In the United States, we look at an arranged marriage as something that is violating the basic liberties of the individual, that the individual should have the right to meet, court, and decide if it's a good match. And some cultures that do have arranged marriages do allow that in that, you know, they, they want you to meet, they want you to talk, they want you to affirm it. But if it falls through, they'll just pick somebody else for you to meet. <laughs> there, there isn't a whole lot of, oh, I'm bringing this girl home that you've never met before. You don't know her family. You don't know their history. You don't know their background. And I'm going to bring her into the family. So is that right or wrong? Seeing some marriages and seeing some relationships make you go, that might be a good thing. Because 20, 25-year-olds don't always make the best choices. And they don't always know themselves as well as they think they do because they're trying to stretch and and grow and expand themselves. As a Christian mother, I want my children to partner with another believer when they establish their own home. And I currently have two sons who are actively searching and they are actively searching for another Christian. They're actively searching for a Christian who has a similar belief structure as they do. And they're, they're different. I have, I have a religiously diverse Christian home. <laughs> I wish there was a way 
to help in this whole dating process because it seems exhausting and difficult and hard to find someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And I hear young adults complain a lot about not meeting people. It's easy to meet people because there are lots of things available now like the internet and different things, dating apps, whatever, to kind of search through people and to meet people. And you could meet somebody who doesn't live near you, which is a much larger pond, if you will. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find somebody because sometimes too much choice can be a detriment as much as too little choice. But you have the freedom to choose. And there are some people who cannot find someone that they're comfortable committing their life to. So they don't find anyone and they they pursue their life as a single. Or if they had been in a relationship and they got divorced, they just want to stay single. They don't want to get remarried. That's your freedom. Our constitution established a three-prong government. And the reason that they established this, this government the way they did in the United States was to ensure the freedoms They had tried when the pilgrims first landed in Plymouth, the Plymouth plantations, whatever they called them. That first year, there was like 120 people that settled and they built the country almost like a commune and they had everything in common. Everything was shared. And they get that out of Acts. Part of what was going on in Acts was very specific to the time and place because the church was just being born and God was really getting ready to send them out. And believers from the time of Acts spread out. They they moved in all directions, radiating out from Jerusalem, spreading the Christian faith far and wide. And there was a lot of oppression and resistance within Jerusalem between both Rome and the Jews. So when they sold their property and they brought the money together, part of that was to help people disconnect from staying in Jerusalem and move on. Because had they all just stayed in Jerusalem, Christianity would not have spread. William Bradford was the first governor in Plymouth. In 1620, the pilgrims that we think of as establishing the United States sold their land and everything they owned, and they chartered a boat called the Mayflower to come to the United States to land in Virginia. Well, God's providence, storms, things happened. They ended up in New England, and that was not really good for them. They traveled for 66 days. As they were getting close to land, and had finally determined that there was no way they were going to make it down the coast of Virginia. They were going to have to anchor and get off the ship. I don't know. This is from mayflowercompact.com. I'll put a link in the, the show notes. But it says, This day, before we came to harbor, observing some not well aff- affected to unity and concord, but gave some appearances of fraction, it was thought good there should be an association and agreement that we should combine together in one body and to submit to such government and governor as we should, by common consent, agree to make and choose and set our hands to this that follows word for word. 
So they came up with this Mayflower Compact. They realized that 150 people, apart from any other settlement in this new world, would probably not survive well if they started to fraction off and go and do their own thing. So as much as they wanted their liberty from England and the king and all the things that were going on there, all the oppression that was going on there, they also knew that they needed to band together as a unit. Now, this ship was not all believers. There were people that were saints, they called them, those were believers, and strangers. Those were people who were strange to the gospel of Christ. They didn't accept or follow the gospel of Christ. So you've got these saints and these strangers, and they realized before they got off the ship, they needed to come together and affirm a governor and a form of government. So that's what they did, because they knew working together was the only way they were going to survive. And if people started splintering off and doing their own thing, they were too much liberty, it would be anarchy. And in anarchy, people would die. Now, that's the one extreme end of the spectrum is anarchy, where there is no law, no justice, no rules, no unity. It's all every man for himself. The other end of the spectrum, of course, is tyranny. And tyranny is what they were running from. So they were wise enough to know, we don't want the tyranny of the king. We don't want the tyranny of this totalitarian government, this oppressive government, making all the decisions and all the commands and all the choices for us. But nor do we want total anarchy where it's every man for himself, because that's just not doable. That's not sustainable. So they came up with this Mayflower Compact, and they literally would not let people off the ship, which I think is kind of funny, (laughs) until they agreed because they knew they had to come to a full agreement the adult men would sign their name to, with the idea that every adult man that signed the contract represented their whole family. So it meant their wife was in agreement, and their children were going to listen to their parents, and, and that was how this colony, this new, what they ended up calling the plantation, the Plymouth Plantation, was going to start, was in unity, even though it was both believers and unbelievers, or saints and strangers. Now, at this point, they weren't necessarily trying to be away from the king. They weren't saying that this was not the Declaration of Independence. These people were still very loyal to the king. They just knew that the king was going to give them more freedoms when they weren't like in his space making him look bad. And it's not that he was not a Christian king. He was actually King James who wrote and had translated the Bible, which most people recognize as the King James Bible. There are many religions who still adhere to that Bible as the most authentic translation. I'm sure it was the most authentic translation in 1611 or whatever when he had it translated. But let me read you this compact. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, By the grace of God of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, and having undertaken for the glory of God an advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our King and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Do by these present solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body public for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereto do enact, constitute, and frame 
such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time, and shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. So they were basically saying we are an extension of Virginia all the way up in Cape Cod, and we are going to do this together. We're going to establish laws and rules. We're going to elect leadership, a governor, officers. And when we appoint these officers, these leaders, we all promise and agree to submit and be obedient to these laws and rules and the governor. And so in 1620, 41 men signed this. And there was about 120 people. And it represented all the people that were on the Mayflower that were going to establish a home in Plymouth. They considered it an extension of Virginia, but it was November and they were going into the winter and they had a very, very, very hard winter. So working together was vital. They built a common house was the first thing they built, I believe, because they wanted everybody to work together to build this common place where they could meet and have meetings and establish laws and deal with lawbreakers or whatever, and just commune together, be together, eat together. And then they built individual homes and and whatnot. At the end of the first year, only 52 people were alive. They had a very, very hard winter, and many, many did not survive. So that next year was very important to continue working together. You know, we're here to exercise our liberties but really to be free, we need other people. We need other people to work with us and we need to work with other people. We need to bless God's other children and we need to rely on God's other children to survive. Liberty is not just about doing whatever you want, when you want, how you want. Liberty has within it this understanding of restriction and most of that restriction can be self-imposed. When you get into anarchy, it's all about me versus the world or my family against the world. And that kind of isolationist attitude is not going to build a society and it's not going to develop growth. You could subsist, you can survive, you can live as an individual family and, and people do it. We have people who still to this day are homesteading in areas where there are not a lot of other people. Now, some are intentionally homesteading with the idea that they're going to build a community that others will come and join them and they'll create a city or develop a a culture there that's not their own. But there are others that intentionally, we want to own our 500 acres and we don't want anybody else on our 500 acres. We want to be completely alone. And the other side of that is there have been places that have been more like a commune. There were several groups in the 70s that were very much communes where they shared everything in common. And there have been some different reports of like Mormon organizations that work like a commune. When you look at those groups from the outside or from historical record, um, so looking at ones that are not currently functioning, but ones that have run the course of their livelihood or whatever, most of them have a very strong, powerful, and well-fed, or you know, emotionally, spiritually, physically, monetarily 
powerful person. And this person would, would basically be the totalitarian leader, even though they wouldn't call themselves that because the members of the group feel like everything is kind of equal and balanced. And yet when these things fail or they fall apart, either they were all sharing everything together and there just wasn't enough to sustain it or everything fell apart because the one leader was hoarding and taking extra special bonuses of things because they were the leader. <laughs> you know, Well, that kind of thing ha- kind of happened here in Plymouth where they originally set it up as a commune. Everything was in common. Everybody was going to work together. Everybody was going to do everything. And together as a unit, we would survive and, and create this flourishing society. So they wanted to establish this colony that would grow into not just one city, but several cities, a new area where people could live and raise their family and work internationally create goods and trade those goods with England and England would then send them goods that they don't have. They would create this whole society, this colony and doing it in common where everyone got equal access to everything failed utterly. Because what happened was if I'm building a common house for everybody, where am I going to sleep tonight? So, of course, some people took time to create shelter for their own family in addition to trying to do some for the common good. And there were others who were so committed to the common cause, they worked tirelessly working on the common needs, like the common house, and got very frustrated at those who didn't. And then there were those who were just plain lazy. I'm a soldier. I don't need to build a house. I'm here to protect you. So I'm going to walk around chit-chatting with whoever protecting, quote unquote, protecting, even though there didn't really seem to be anything to be protected from. But they didn't want to work. They didn't want to do the work. They did want to take advantage of the work that others were doing. There were men that were sent out to hunt and fish and get food. So they wanted to eat but they didn't necessarily want to help build the fire pit or collect firewood or build the common house. And then after they lost 50% of the people that first year, William Bradford and the people who survived started really thinking about how are we going to continue this because this isn't working very well. And it didn't take long before they started to change things. And when you start to allow people to barter and to trade and to serve God's other children, which is how I like to say it. This concept of capitalism blossoms. This is that the trading, the bartering, the serving of each other. I can collect firewood. I'm pretty good at it. I know where I can find dry stuff. And you're really good at cooking. So if I collect enough firewood and bring it, can I have some of what you cook? And another person says, yeah, well, I'm really good at hunting and trapping and I can trap a couple rabbits. So if I trap some rabbits and I bring it to you and you can cook it, can I have some of your stew? So they were trading the firewood for some of the stew, the the raw rabbits for some of the stew. And of course, the person who knew how to cook was desperately in need of somebody who could gather firewood and someone who could bring in meat or vegetables or whatever they could find that was edible. 
And when you work with each other, serving each other, initially it was it was trading. It was straight up bartering. I'll give you this service for this service that you're going to offer me. Now we barter and trade with money, right? I work my work and I serve you. As I serve you, you get value from what I provide to you. And then you make a donation to me with your money. And when you go out and you do your job, whatever it is, you practice law, you pick up garbage, you drive a dump truck, you assist in a dental office, you run a business, you sell insurance, whatever it is you do, you do your job, you do it well, and your customers then pay you. And those dollars are a certificate of a job well done, a certificate of achievement. You have made me happy. You have provided a service for me that I didn't have the time or the skill or the resources to do, but you did. Because we can't do everything ourselves unless you just want to subsist, right? You can live on your own. You can live off the land, but you can't do enough of that as one person or one small family to live really abundantly. You can survive, But if you really want to live abundantly, if you want to be able to have a little leisure in your life, if you want to be able to have, I don't know, a TV to watch the ball game on, if you want to have a phone so you can listen to podcasts, you have to do what you do very well so that the people that you serve pay you the value of your work. And then you can use how they pay you, the the certificates of a job well done, the dollars that they give you, you then in turn can buy the services of somebody else. And maybe you like to cook, but you don't have time to cook every day. So you pay somebody to cook your meals or you pay somebody to clean your house. All those things play a part. I don't need a lawyer every day, but I sure want to know There's a lawyer out there for the event that I might need one. And then I would pay them what they're worth and I would pay them their value using what I was able to garner by doing what I do. And you're smart enough to understand what I'm talking about. Liberty and freedom works in concert with a tribe, a group of people, starting with your family, your intimate family, your spouse, your husband, your wife, your children, your family is your most intimate tribe that you support, you protect, you serve. And then going out from that, you've got your friends and you've got your employer and you've got your clients and the people that you serve directly. And some of you don't serve someone directly. Some of you make a product or produce a product or do something as an intermediary. You know, I, I think of architects, okay? If I want to build a new house, I need a contractor to build the house, right? Or I need the lumber to build a house. I need the nails. I need the windows. There's lots of physical components that I need to build a house. But I can't put all those things together just in my head to create what I really want. I mean, I could I could build a barn or a shed or something very simple. But if I wanted to build a house with several rooms and running water and electricity, I'm going to need several people. And, and there are people out there. I know I can call an electrician. I can call a plumber. I can call a contractor. I can call a roofing company. You know, I can find those people. But ultimately, what I need is an architect. I need an architect to make up the plans. And in those plans, there's sub plans for, oh, here's what the electrician has to do. This is what the plumber has to do. This is how the wood and the components are going to be purchased. 
And it might be that the architect makes the drawings and then from that, the general contractor pulls it apart and says, okay, we need this many windows. They need to be this size. We need, you know, there's so many pieces and parts, just building a house. But I don't necessarily have to know everything. And in the beauty of it is, is that I don't know everything. And then I have to rely on these other people, God's other children in my life, in my neighborhood, in my community that I can reach out to either because I know them personally or because I know somebody who knows somebody, right? Worst case scenario, I'm going to Google them. I'm going to look it up on Facebook. I'm going to ask friends on Facebook. Hey, does anybody know a good plumber? How many times do you see that? It's because they trust their circle of friends who might have firsthand experience to say, hey, this guy's trustworthy. This guy's going to do a good job. Call them. This is how God created us to work in liberty, in freedom. I get to decide what kind of house I want to live in. You know, I want a house with three bedrooms or I want a house with four bedrooms. I want a house with a basement. I want a house without a basement. I want a house with the front door facing north or the front door facing south or east or west, whatever I want. I can decide that, but I can't make it happen without other people being involved. Well, this seems like the perfect time to say that this is a value for value podcast in that I invest my time, my talent, my treasure in creating this podcast and making it available to you. In turn, I rely on you to recognize the value that this podcast offers your life by making a donation so that I can keep providing it. This is how liberty works. This is how capitalism works. I could be dependent on commercials, advertisers, and sponsors, but then they would pull the strings and they would decide what you get to hear. This way, in having value for value, when you make a donation, you can send a comment, you can ask a question, you can have a say in what comes in the future episodes. Head over to elainecross.com, E-L-A-Y-N-E, cross as in Jesus died on the cross, dot com. Share your time, talent, and treasure in some way that's practical for you. What kind of value do I bring into your life? Put a number to it whatever number you decide, and send it in. Every little bit makes a difference, and it keeps this podcast going. So let's continue. So liberty is very, very, very important, and we celebrate liberty on the 4th of July here in the United States because we do have the freedom to make those choices. Without liberty, without the freedom to make choices, without the ability to earn a wage that I can then trade for other goods and services, I become dependent on the government. And we know right from what's happened on this land, I can't say this country because that was 100 years before the Declaration of Independence, 1620, right? The Declaration of Independence is when the United States was born, 1776. So if somebody tells you that it was before that, like 1619 or something, that's all on England and France and Spain, the other countries that were running and coordinating the colonies that were here. In 1776, the leaders of the 13 colonies got together and said, enough is enough. We're going to do it our way. You need to get out of our business. England said no. And we fought them for the right to establish our own government, to establish our own style of administrating these colonies. And the style that they decided was very biblical in nature. 
And they set it up intentionally to have checks and balances built in the system and to prevent the establishment of another totalitarian leader. And some of that has come gradually. Everything that they established initially wasn't perfect. We've added several amendments to the Constitution. Not a lot. We haven't needed a lot, but we've made changes. And over 200 years of experience in the United States, the Supreme Court has swung like a pendulum a little bit as that third part of the the trilateral government that we have to balance out the work of the two working parts of the government. We have the executive branch, which is the president and his cabinet. And then we have the legislative branch, which is the House and the Senate. So the House and the Senate, they write laws, they pass the budget, they have some oversight over a lot of federal government organizations. They are supposed to be the gatekeepers of the laws and the rules and and that kind of thing. You've got the executive branch, which is really established to be outlooking, meaning it's about border security, which we don't have any right now, but that's what we elected. So that's what we get. Uh, He told us people didn't believe it. People thought he was going to be moderate. He basically said during the campaign he wasn't going to be moderate. People didn't believe him because he'd always been moderate, whatever. So the executive branch is outlooking the borders, international treaties, international trade, international tariffs or any of that stuff. That's the executive branch's responsibility. And then interstate commerce things that go over state lines as far as our capitalistic society. So some of that has gotten into energy because every state doesn't have their own energy supply that's sufficient for their state. And there are some major electricity installations like the dam in Nevada provides hydroelectric power for several states in that region. So things like that. Where the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court of the land that looks at the Constitution. It's not necessarily looking at how they've written the laws or recommending how to write laws or for the legislature to do their job. They look at the Constitution and they look at what is happening in certain cases and then they rule whether it is constitutional or is not constitutional. That's their job. The United States was designed to be representative in that the federal government was supposed to be the smallest, least powerful force, and the state government was supposed to be much stronger than the federal government, but was supposed to also be very representative of the citizens of the state. Things have gotten out a little whack a little bit, and when things get out of whack a little bit, hopefully one of these branches will pull things in, rein things in, or or alter things. And that's exactly what we're seeing now with the Supreme Court in that they're saying, okay, federal government, you have overstepped, executive branch, you have overstepped. You can't do things that the legislature hasn't told you you can do. Then they looked at the legislature and they said, okay, you can't delegate your responsibility for oversight by letting all these government entities make laws. So what has happened is when you elect someone The whole point of you electing someone to represent you, that representative is accountable to you as a citizen. So I'm going to look at the candidates. I'm going to evaluate what they say, what they're going to do, and then I'm going to vote for one. And then that person is going to go to either your state capital or D.C., and they're going to take the responsibility of monitoring the laws and, and making laws and passing laws or repealing laws. 
in accordance with what you said you were going to do and your voters that supported you. Okay. And then us voters get about busy doing the things that we want to do. You know, I want to build up a business or I want to bake wedding cakes or I want to be a pro football player, whatever. We do what we're going to do serving God's other children while we trust our representatives, those we've elected to represent us, to watch after the country and to watch after my rights and my liberties. And when they don't do their job, but they push it off to somebody who's not elected and they say, oh, they make their own rules. The Supreme Court said, no, you don't get to make your own rules. Congress has to make your rules and you have to follow Congress's rules. So really this year, the Supreme Court has kind of smacked the hand of both the the legislative branch, the Congress, and the executive branch, the president, and said, stay in your lane, do your job, and stop delegating your responsibility to other people who are not elected. Because then they had that plausible deniability. Well, I didn't tell them they could do it. They made their own laws. They made their own rules. They made their own standards. Well, that doesn't fly in America. The reason we're free is because we elect representatives. The only thing we do in the United States that's democratic is our elections. One vote for every citizen. And if you're not voting, you need to vote. And if you're not voting because you don't know what's going on, you need to find a trusted friend, somebody who is involved and does understand that can give you suggestions as to how to vote. Or do your research. It's really not that hard. It's like every two years. In Ohio, it's every year. Every year we have elections in Ohio but they're for varying levels of government. During the presidential year, we, we also vote for county offices. And in the other federal year, when the House is being elected, we vote for our governor and our state representatives, the treasurer, the attorney general, that kind of stuff. Every state is different. Every state has their own when they vote for state leadership. And when you vote for your county leadership, when you vote for your city leadership, when you vote for your township leadership. So there could be an election every year. And it it was easier, I think, when it wasn't so politically divided. And I have a right-leaning bias. Sure, you figured that out already. (laughs) But everything out there is very biased. And this goes back to if you know what you believe, and if you quantify that, you write it out, you organize it in your head, you figure out exactly what you believe. Do you believe the Word of God is true? Do you believe in Jesus? that he came, was born, was punished, was counted as guilty, was crucified, buried, and rose again? Do you believe the United States of America is the greatest government in the world? I'm not saying it's the perfect. I'm not saying it's not without faults. And I'm not saying they don't make mistakes. They don't do great things. But if you start to quantify some of these things, and frankly, if you don't love America, move out, go somewhere else. You can make wedding cakes in Russia or England or wherever if you think it's so much better there. You might find it's very hard to move into another country as opposed to the United States right now. Most countries, you have to have a job or have a reason to be there. You can't buy property in other countries like you can in the United States. And a lot of foreign people are buying land in the United States, and that can be really bad for us. Maybe we should look at that. Maybe we should say, man, that might be infringement of our freedoms if a bunch of foreign entities with a lot of money buy our land. Maybe you need to be a U.S. citizen to buy land in the United States. Should we think about that? Maybe we should think about that. Maybe we should ask our congressman to talk about that. 
and think about making a law about that. But the only thing the average citizen has to do is look at the candidates and then vote. And then if you vote well, and if you don't just keep voting for the same person over and over again, because once they get in there and they stay there for too long, they get way too comfortable and then they get big headed and do goofy things to protect their own pocketbook. You can go about doing your own thing. You, vo- you vote, you go back doing your own thing. But we have to keep our eye on the road, if you will. We have to see where are these politicians that we elect are taking us, or they will take us to a place where our liberties are confined and constrained. They tried, and it has been tried, this idea of socialism, which was what a commune was, everything in common. The problem with socialism, the problem with communism, and socialism is basically the economic side of communism, okay? So you've got the communist leaders in a socialist monetary system. So socialism and capitalism are contrary to each other. Because in capitalism, you have the freedom to work as hard as you want to work and make as much as you want to make based on how much work you want to do. Socialism, it's everyone is equal and everything's good and a guaranteed base income and all this stuff. Well, where does all that come from? Do they just print it out of blue air? Because if you get a group of 10 people together to do a job and they're random people, I'm not saying 10 of your friends because 10 of your friends would all be hard workers. If you got 10 people together, you you pulled 10 random people and put them together into a group, guaranteed one, two, or three of them are going to figure out a way to do very little or no work at all. I've been in groups of four people and two were really good about talking about it, but didn't produce anything. One didn't even talk about it. And, you know, one or two of us carried the load for all four or five. You see that in group projects, especially when you're in school all the time, right? There's always somebody who slacks off. There's always somebody who talks a big talk, but doesn't produce anything. And then there's the ones who get the work done. That's human nature. And that's the fallacy that haunts socialism. Because unless you force somebody to work as hard as everybody else, there are going to be people who don't work. So the only way to make socialism work is with communism, with a totalitarian dictatorship, high stakes, high pain, forcing you to do what the government tells you to do. Well, the United States of America rejects that. I reject that. God made us free. God created us to be free. God honored our freedom. And God wants us to freely come to him and have a relationship with him. And liberty is the only way you are free to live your life. And the United States of America is the greatest beacon of liberty the world over. There's no other country in the world that has the liberties that we have. Just the the First Amendment, let alone the Second Amendment, let alone the whole Bill of Rights, which is the first 10 amendments, no other country has that to stand on or to push back against. The first 10 amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, is our individual right to push it back against the chaos of the government. And you've heard me say that, you know, our job is to push back against the chaos in the world. And as a U.S. citizen, our Bill of Rights is our mechanism by which we push back against the chaos of the people in the government who just from time spent in the government. There are people who get into government because they want the power, they want the 
prestige. Some of them feel like they're rock stars or movie stars or something, and they love it when people fawn over them. Oh, can I get your autograph? Can I have my picture with you? And they're just people. And frankly, they're servants. And when they do their job right, our liberties flourish. Now, liberty's messy. Talked about messiness. But the beauty of the United States is the freedoms that we have in the community that we have. And America has long been recognized as the melting pot. And what breaks my heart the most right now is the clear, intentional, evil, Marxist drive to create division and separation based on frivolities. It's just frivolous information of where you live, where you grew up, what color you are, what language you speak. My goodness, how tall you are, how short you are, what age you are. You know, it's the millennials versus the boomers and the X's versus the millennials and blah, 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 the mess. We are the United States of America. We are not perfect. We do not have a perfect past, but we can have a better future. And we do have the best opportunity for anyone anywhere in the world, which is why they're clamoring to come in our southern border. They're just flooding through our southern border. It's not because they think we are racist and we're cruel and we like mass shootings. We're not evil. But evil is trying to paint us in the light of evil. Evil is trying to divide us against ourselves. Because a house divided will not stand. And we need to have some of these hard conversations. And we need to look toward a better future. I just read an article today, and I'll put a link in the notes, about a lawsuit over segregation that was just this three-judge panel just put out the latest iteration of things that Madison County, Alabama needs to fix in their school system because they still had barriers to things like AP classes, which are like college classes that you take in high school, their advanced placement. So through the course of this lawsuit, they determined that they were making it harder for black students to get into the AP classes than the white students. This is 2020. This shouldn't be happening. I'm grateful that A, the lawsuit was brought, B, that they didn't give up in the process, and C, the federal judges and the the state are basically saying, we're watching you and we're going to track you and we're going to monitor your success in this and we're going to keep basically pressure on you to make sure you make the changes that are required by this lawsuit. We need to do this. We need to come together as the great melting pot. I can't imagine living in a, in a country, <laughs> and this is, is frivolous, but I can't imagine living in a country that, like, if I went to Italy, would I have to eat Italian food all the time? Right? Think about this. <laughs> if, if I moved to Mexico, would I have to eat Mexican food all the time? Or if I moved to India, would I have to have Indian food every night? The beauty of America is (laughs) I don't have to eat American food, but once every 10 days, and I can eat food from any other country the other nine days of the week, (laughs) or the other nine out of 10 days. 
I can have Chinese today and Korean tomorrow and Japanese the next day and then Thai. I can do a world tour of culinary delights in the United States because we're the great melting pot, because all these countries and all these people have come here and we have welcomed and we have embraced and we need to get back to that because the longer we sow division, the less we're going to have liberty. Because when you start looking at each other as competition, or you look at each other as a threat, you're automatically going to look to somebody else to fix it. And when you look at somebody else to fix it, not yourself, the entity you most commonly look to is the government. And I don't want the government in my business. Thank you very much. I want to fix my house, fix my city, fix my state. And if you get about fixing your house and your city and your state, everybody will be so much better. Get out of your silos, get out of your echo chambers and start listening and start conversing. That's what I'm doing because I know my liberty is dependent on this interdependency we have with each other. We have as a society, we have as the United States, the need to be able to depend and trust on each other that we both want the best for each other because when I do my best and you do your best, everybody benefits. Whether my best is cleaning toilets and your best is doing brain surgery, we both have to do our job well. We both have to do do our job as good as we can with the gifts and the talents that we have. We need to just serve each other and we need to listen to each other. We need to love each other so we can preserve our liberty. I was at church on Sunday and I was very, very cautious because churches in America have gone through this cycle. And I can't say all because some churches are great and there is such a fear to offend. There is such a fear to get in a confrontation because it's like everybody's nerves are on edge. Everybody is just ready to jump at you if you speak out of turn or if you speak of something you shouldn't talk about. And I've been going to church for 50 years. I mean, I went to church as a kid. I don't remember it, that little time off. And then I've been going to church pretty regularly. And of the 4th of July services or the Veterans Day services or I hate to say Christmas and Easter. Okay, not that and maybe, but Memorial Day. Okay, so Independence Day, I should start in order. Memorial Day, Independence Day, Veterans Day. Those three days, most churches I've been in on any one of those days or that weekend, something is said about the United States of America and how God has used the United States of America or how God's providence has helped develop America or how God works through the people of America to bless the world, whatever. There's something said. And I just knew Saturday. And I said something to my husband that, yeah, you know, not sure that I want to go to church because I'm afraid they're not going to say anything. And I think it's dishonoring to God to not acknowledge God's blessing on this country. Again, we are not perfect. Thank you, Lord, that you, even when I was a sinner, 
doing the worst of the worst, he loved me. And when you're a sinner, and when you do horrible things, God loves you. It doesn't, his love for you is not impacted by what you do. God has established natural law. And part of that natural law is that when you serve God's children, which is everybody, and when you give, you are blessed. It's a natural law because a lot of other religions that are not Christian or Jewish recognize it. It's it's kind of like karma. It's not exactly the same. It's kind of like karma. And the reason they they picked it up and they called it karma is because it's a natural law. It's a law of how God created the universe to work. When you serve people and you do your best and you give and are not selfish, you in turn are blessed. And this country has been blessed. And part of it is because we have worked together and as in working together, we can do more. So we've developed, we've invented, we've created, we've, we've changed the world significantly through our togetherness, even though we're so independent and we're so individual, still we have changed the world, right? And to go into church and not hear one thing, literally, I was, I was so mad. God established governments. God created this structure of leadership. And, and initially it was the, the patriarch, the, the family, right? And then it became the tribes and you had the leaders of the tribe and God had prophets and God had judges and God had the law, right? So God created the law and the law governed things. Well, we have the legislature, which creates our laws and governs things. Now, we have a bunch of people in the legislature and we have a a fluid document, meaning we change it because we're humans and we're not perfect and we can't write a perfect law like God wrote a perfect law. Although God's law covers many things, it doesn't cover all the nuances of human life. So we have our legislature that writes the laws and should repeal bad laws and change laws and to order our society in a structure so that people can have a standard level of expectation or a standard level of um, this is how things work and this is how things are not acceptable or, or, or don't work. <laughs> you can't do that. You can do this. And God had judges and we have judges. We have a whole judiciary from could be the mayor's court in your city all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. We have these judges that balance between two parties that think they're right with respect to the law. So the judges look at the, the two parties, the two people involved or two entities that are involved with respect to the law, and they judge based on the facts of the case, what they can prove. And it can't just be hearsay, and it can't just be rumors, and it can't just be, you know, whatever. It has to be good, clear evidence, which is biblical, you know, in the presence of two to three witnesses, right? So those are both biblical. And of course, then we have our leadership. Moses was of the priestly clan, but Moses was the leader. Joshua was the leader. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Those led into the Egyptian uh, slavery. And then you had Moses, then you had Joshua, and then you had judges and prophets. And 
that people were like, we want a king like everybody else wants a king. We want a king like everybody else has a king. And God's like, give him a king. Samuel's like, I don't want to give him a king. Well, he gave him a king. But there's always been somebody in that leadership role or some somebody's, you know, there were several times where there's more than one prophet, even in the time of kings. So the prophets were kind of like the people who heard from God. Then there was the law and then there was the priests. And then you have the king and the priests and the prophets and the law. And we have the legislature, which writes the law. We have the judges, which judge between the parties. And then you have the executive that kind of run the show. And all the way down to you have a mayor, right? God created that. That's that's a godly structure of leadership to coordinate millions of hundreds of millions of people. And to not mention the fact that you live in the United States or the fact that you enjoy these freedoms that are not enjoyed in a large percentage of the countries in the world or that people are actively fighting to get. People are actively attempting to get into this country because of these freedoms. You know, we can look at our southern border and we can say there's a lot of people coming through the southern border. They're not all from South America. The people coming in our southern border are from all over the world because America is unique on the world stage. And evil needs to diminish America. Evil needs to get America out of the way for evil to take over the world, for evil to flourish. And to not mention, and I'm not saying they had to do a whole sermon on God's providence in the United States or the founding of the United States or a little mini history lesson, although I've been to churches who've done that and I've really enjoyed them because I'm obviously, I'm a Christian politic junkie. Yeah, it's just who I am. But to not mention it at all is like to not mention a father on Father's Day or not mention a mother on Mother's Day or not mention Jesus Christ on Christmas. To not acknowledge the United States in a church in the United States on the 4th of July, to me, is just rude. It's, it's so dishonoring to God and all that God has done for this country and through this country for the world. Without the United States the way that it has been over the last 200 and some years, I can't imagine what the world would be like. Would we all be under Hitler? Would we all be under Stalin? Would we all be under Mao? There has been a lot of evil in this world that has been pushed back by the presence and the power of the United States. And as that evil has been pushed back and kept in check, millions of people have come to know Christ, have come to know freedom in a way that they never did. Again, I'm not saying America is perfect, and I'm not saying America doesn't have things it needs to fix. We're human. You can't find a perfect church, let alone a perfect country. But by golly, we have the best there is to offer right now. If you know of a country that has more freedoms or more rights for those who believe in multiple religions, because it's not just a freedom of Christianity, it's because the freedom of the Judeo-Christian belief that established this country gives the Muslims the 
Buddhists, the Hindu, all of them the right to worship their religion the way they want to. If you know a country that has more to offer than what we have, email me. I want to know what they are. I want to dig into it. I want to see what they got. I wouldn't be surprised at some point it's going to happen. If we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep getting what we're getting. And I'm not happy with what we've got right now. I read the end of the book. I've read the end. I see how it works out. If that truly is the end time plan, and if Christ is coming again, the United States can't be doing what the United States is doing. The United States can't be a bright light in a dark world if evil gets to run the world. And by golly, while this light is still burning, we need to honor the God who is working through us to keep it burning. And we, believers, need to get our act together. We need to get in unity. We need to stop talking smack about each other's churches and how we baptize by sprinkling or dipping forwards or dipping backwards or whatever. If you believe in Jesus Christ, and I would even say the Jews, you believe in the Word of God, the Tanakh, and you are a practicing active Jew, or you are an active practicing Christian, we need to work together. We need to encourage the people in our life by serving them the best we can. You want to change the world? Change how you treat other people. Honor other people. You know, I started to say earlier that liberty works in concert. And if we look at the four walls of our temple, you know, we've got the four that are our foundation. We've got the four walls. So B-R-I-G is, is your foundation. That's, that's your foundation. That is your vertical relationship with God. That's between you and him. And then you've got your four walls of your temple, tribe, honor, liberty, and yielding. Those all work together. And it's through those four that your light shines outward. That's your horizontal relationship with every person you encounter. These are exciting times. They're tough. There's no time in history that didn't have its trials. It didn't have its rough spots. We are going through some real rough spots. And we Christians need to get together. We need to work together. We need to come up with some real solid solutions and plans to fix the things that are ailing us right now, things that have been plaguing us for a very long time. Slaves were brought to this land before this country was established. There is still human trafficking going on in this country. There are people who are living as slaves, be it out of religious organization or prostitution type oppression. But the fact that the federal court is still involved with a segregation case in the state of Alabama because black students do not have access to advanced placement classes in 2022, if we don't burn bright, we're going to go dark as a country. We're going to go evil as a country. And yeah, people are going to get saved. Things are going to happen. I mean, God's going to keep moving. I would rather move in freedom than oppression. Liberty. What were those definitions of liberty? Freedom from arbitrary or despotic government control. Yeah, we need that liberty. Freedom from external or foreign rule. Independence. We fought for that liberty. 
but we need to keep fighting or aware. We need to stay aware, maybe. Even if we don't have to fight, we need to stay aware. Freedom from control, interference, obligation, restriction, hampering conditions, etc. The power or right of doing, thinking, speaking according to your choice. That's our First Amendment, baby. Can you tolerate someone who speaks something that offends you? You need to. Freedom is messy. Liberty is messy. And just because somebody says something that you don't agree with doesn't mean you need to get all, you know, hair standing on end and angry. Ask them why. Start the dialogue. Don't start the debate. Because when it becomes you versus me, that's division that brings death. Listen, have a dialogue. Try to understand their point of view. I'm not saying you have to agree. And I'm not saying they're going to agree. And I'm not saying they're not going to pick a fight with you. But we can't not talk about the tough stuff because we need to learn to talk again. And yeah, there's going to be people you're going to have to walk away because there are some people that are just so riled up that they can't have a normal conversation. I get it. But if you can have a normal conversation or if you can say, hey, let's, I don't want to fight. I don't want to take sides and try to beat each other up. I want to understand where you're coming from. Do you want to understand my perspective? And then see if you can actually talk about it, because I think that's really, really important. Liberty is the permission granted to a sailor, especially in the Navy, to go ashore. Freedom to move about. I have the freedom to move to a church that's going to celebrate the 4th of July. At least acknowledge that it exists. The United States of America is known as a free country, a place where liberty is held above so many other things. And it's codified in our constitution. And it was codified in our shared experience. And we have an enemy who has seeped in to create and to feed division, to divide us, to diminish us, to overwhelm us into submission. Because when we start talking about controlling speech, controlling thought, controlling the sharing of ideas, and we've seen that. We've seen companies do that. I like the rating system that they created for TV. I want to know that if I turn on a TV show and it's it's rated G, which I don't even think they use G anymore. Anybody can watch it. I can show it to my grandkids. G should also mean that it's free of propaganda and free of ideologies trying to nudge you one way or another. I want the freedom to talk to each other again. I have so many questions. I have, I have so many discussions I want to have with somebody that I just haven't been able to have. Because when I bring it up, they either shut down because they think I just want to fight or they fight. It's like, I don't want to fight with you. And then they don't hear what I'm trying to say so that we're not having a, any discord. We're having a debate. I don't want to debate. I want discord. We need to start talking again. We don't have a perfect history and we're not going to have a perfect future, but we do have a lot that the rest of the world needs, needs to hear, needs to see. And it's going to start with us, believers. It's going to start with those of us who stand on the word of God as truth and say, you know what? I'm going to love you even when you're unlovely. And I'm going to give you the best I can offer in my service to you even if you're rude or you're, because when I serve you, I'm freely serving God. 
but we can't be ashamed to say, I'm doing this because I love God. There's a balance between being forthright with your faith and being obnoxious with your faith. There are people who walk around in an arrogant, patronizing way as if their ideas, their perspective, their knowledge is supreme compared to everyone else. Happy birthday, America. Happy, happy Independence Day to all of you. I know it was a few days ago, but it bears repeating. God has blessed this country personally, and God has used this country, the United States of America, to bless the world. May it continue. Live light. Live liberty within the confines of unity, serving God's other children with the best that you have to offer, regardless of how they treat you. This is a Value for Value podcast. This is a Value for Value podcast, meaning that I invest my time, my talent, my treasure in creating this podcast. And I rely on you, producers like yourself, who recognize that the effort I put in to create this podcast adds a value to your life. And you get to decide that value. Unlike when you go to hire a contractor, you hire a architect, or you hire a plumber, they have a set fee. Here, I let you set the amount. Only you can decide what this time that I have put in brings to you. I don't want to charge and I don't want advertisement, so it's up to you. Head on over to ElaineCross.com, E-L-A-Y-N-E, cross as in Jesus died on the cross, dot com, and make a donation. There's a link right at the front page. Have a great day. Till next time.